The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Hey everybody, super excited to be preaching to you today. We are in week two of Pray, Serve, Give, and gather. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about prayer out of Philippians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, we're going to be teaching in this text each week for all four principles. But this week, we're going to be focusing on serving. And so, super excited about that. Let's go ahead and look at the text. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 9. And it says this, What you have learned and received and heard And seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, do as I do. Serve as I have served you. But the question is, I mean, how has Paul served the church in Philippi? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at three individuals out of the book of Acts and how he served the church in Philippi in each three scenarios. And so if you would get your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 and following, that'd be awesome. So chapter 16, verse 11. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And so one of the first things that I want you to see out of this first section is that Paul served strategically. That Paul served strategically. So he goes to this bustling city of Philippi, this this city that has a lot of Roman influence. As a matter of fact, Oftentimes, Roman soldiers who just finished war would come to Philippi because it had this Roman feel. It was actually called the Little Rome. So it had the feel of Rome without all the hassle. And so all these soldiers would come into the city of Philippi. It was kind of like Chinatown in San Francisco. And so there's a lot going on, and it's this great city of influence. As a matter of fact, I think the writer of Acts, which is Luke, I think it's his hometown. So he's giving us a little insight here. And then it says, We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And so this was typical of Paul. This was his strategy. Paul would go to a city, and he would show up, and he would look for the synagogue, and then he would go and he would preach and teach Jesus. And so Paul, knowing that this isn't a Jewish culture, but rather this is a Greek culture, he knew that there was no synagogue. So he finds the next best thing. He goes to this lakeside where these these group of women who are praying together, they're spiritually minded, they're God-fears. And what that means is that they believe in one God. And so he shows up as he does every other place, And he starts preaching and teaching Jesus, hoping to create a church out of this group. This is what it says. And he sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, 
a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And so Paul shows up, he starts preaching and teaching Jesus, and there's this woman there named Lydia. She's a businesswoman. It says that she's from the city of Thyatira, which the implications there are huge. What it's saying is, he's giving us a clue that she actually probably has a home in Thyatira and Philippi. She's incredibly wealthy. So rich, as a matter of fact. She actually invites them into their, her huge home later. But here's the picture. She is a seller of purple goods. We know that there were purple dyes in Thyatira. So she would take the dyes from that area. She would bring them to Philippi and she would build clothing and goods and she would sell them. She was a fashionista. I mean, do we have any Making the Cut fans or Project One Runway fans? She's our modern day Heidi Klum. That's, that's, That's who she is. She is just killing it. She is an influencer. She's a successful business lady. So she's there. He's preaching and teaching the word of God, right? And the Bible says, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. That's verse, that's the very next verse. Isn't that beautiful? Paul shows up, he starts teaching and preaching Jesus. And unbeknownst to Paul, God opens Lydia's heart to receive what he has to say. Isn't that amazing? How many times as we serve strategically, as we make a plan and we say, hey, we're going to make that phone call. We're going to shoot that text. We're going to drop off those cookies. How often does God move in an incredible way that we have no idea? Isn't that amazing? Paul's preaching and teaching like he normally does with a strategy. And this woman, Lydia, gives her life to Jesus. And then it says, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia and her entire family are changed forever. You see, Paul had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a strategy. It was to go to a common area, a spiritual area, and preach the gospel. Have you thought strategically about service in this season? I mean, we talk a lot about constant innovation at Grace. Are you praying and asking God, how can I be innovative to reach my neighbor? How can I be innovative to love my estranged family member? How can I be innovative in this season to strategically serve others? But I want you to hear this. You can serve with the strategy, but you need to leave the results to God. So you can plan it out. You can send that text. You can shoot that email. You can do whatever. You can make that Zoom call. But if you don't see any change, man, don't get discouraged. Don't get down. Serve God faithfully and leave the results to Him. Serve with a strategy. So the second thing that I want you to see in this text is that you should serve spiritually. So Paul's just encountered Lydia. That was our first one, right? And now he's about to encounter someone entirely different. Let's look at the text. This is chapter 16, verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, so here's the picture. I just want you to see the context. 
So remember Lydia prevailed over Paul and Silas and Luke and they all go to her house. Well, here's the picture. They go to Lydia's house and then they go back to the place of prayer. And then they go to Lydia's house and then they go back to the place of prayer. They're going back and forth because this is Paul's main hub for the mission to go forth is this place of prayer. So as that's taking place, watch this. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, like screaming. I'm not going to do it right now, but screaming. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing, it says, for many days. So look at this new individual that Paul's ministering. And then all of a sudden, this teenage girl, picture 15, 16 years old. Any of y'all got daughters, right? 15, 16 years old. She's a slave. And she has this demonic spirit, a spirit of divination. Anybody watch the outsiders? You know, the detective in there that has this clairvoyant gift this ability to see the future or to see something that somebody else doesn't see, this dreaming, so to speak. We don't know what kind of gift it was, but we know that it was demonic. We know that it brought this great fortune to her owners. She's a cash cow, a demonic cash cow. So picture this teenager literally walking with Paul everywhere he goes, screaming to the top of her lungs. These men are servants of the Most High God. They know the way to salvation. And this goes on for days. It's crazy. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. And if you aren't thinking it, you're going to be thinking it after I say it. I know a lot of you are thinking that this sounds a lot like quarantine right now. And we've got all these kids that are demon-possessed screaming in our ears all the time, right? That's, I mean, I, I, mean, I know you know what I'm talking about. It says, Paul, after he's done this for several days, right? Having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. The text says that Paul is greatly annoyed and then he cast the spirit out. And that's interesting to me. Think about this. Why is Paul so mad when she's declaring the truth. She's saying these men know the most high God, they're servants, and they know the way to salvation. I mean, yeah, I get being annoyed, but why is he so mad about this? Think about it. It's interesting that word greatly annoyed can also be translated greatly burdened. Here's the picture. I do think that it's both. I think we over-spiritualize biblical characters often. I think it's easy for us to go, oh yeah, Paul's super holy. He's just burdened. He's not annoyed by this. He's above that. No, no, no. I think he's super annoyed. I think he's like, shut your mouth. Will you get away? But at the same time, he's greatly burdened. You know why? Because of their context. It was a polytheistic culture. And what that means is, is that they believed in many gods. And so Paul does not want this to be a menu of gods and that he's just one of them, 
that you can pick and choose. And he's declaring, just like all the other gods in the area, to follow the one true God. As a matter of fact, Paul also knew that there were magicians and cults and all kinds of spiritual things that came through because it was a major metropolis. It was a great trade route. So people would come in selling goods, selling their truth, saying, hey, come listen to me. And Paul was like, I'm greatly burdened that she's shouting this because everybody around us is going to think that I'm talking about the other gods and I'm just selling a bag of goods. It would be a lot like today when somebody shows up to your house, they're riding a bike, they got khakis on, a button down shirt, a tie on. As soon as they show up your door with a pamphlet, you are automatically going to go, yep, there's the Mormons. They're here to tell me about their belief, right? Even if it wasn't, and Paul's saying, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want people to think that I'm saying something that's false when I'm actually teaching them about the one way to God, which is through Jesus. So that's the picture. He's greatly annoyed. But Paul is also aware that this girl is possessed. And so here's the picture. The second thing that we're supposed to notice is, is that we would serve spiritually, right? Paul recognizes spiritual warfare. He recognizes that this isn't just an annoying girl. No, no, no. This girl is possessed by a demon. So he recognizes that and he casts the spirit out. But here's what I want you to know. I believe that when he cast that spirit out, that this girl gave her life to Jesus. It doesn't say that, but there's two reasons why I believe that. And I think they're biblical reasons. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 24 and following, this is what it says. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So the first reason that I think that the spirit is left and that she has given her life to Jesus is because Jesus says, listen, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it roams around. And then when it comes back and it sees that nothing else has filled the void. In other words, Jesus isn't on the throne. This person hasn't submitted to Christ. Then guess what it does? It brings seven other evil spirits and it wreaks havoc in a way like never before. If you notice right after this, the owners of this girl are super mad because they lost their cash cow. She lost the spirit. She lost the ability to see things in a special way. The second reason that I believe that she gave her life to Jesus is right before this, Lydia gives her life to Jesus. And then right after this, another person gives their life to Christ. The picture is Paul is serving in a way that's bringing deliverance in all of these people's lives, including this slave girl who's in bondage to an evil demonic spirit. And so as you serve, not just strategically, but would you serve spiritually? Paul may not be able to free her from slavery physically. You know what Paul does? He serves her spiritually. He casts the demon out and she's been set free. She's no longer in bondage to Satan, to death, to sin. No, she's been set free. As a matter of fact, when I serve, like when I counsel 
or when I meet with a homeless person, I'm not just there to fix the problem or the the issue at hand. I'm not just there to give out food. I'm there hoping by God's grace that I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and that their spiritual needs of encouragement can be met as well. And so the third thing that I want you to see out of this text is that we are called to serve sacrificially, to serve sacrificially. Let's look at the text. This is chapter 16, verse 19. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So they literally grabbed Paul and Silas, put them into the center hub of the entire city. They put them before these rulers. And then this is what happens. They dragged them in there. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then all of a sudden the crowd joins in. They all start shouting and jeering, right? The crowds join in attacking them and the magistrates, the officials, tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. This is crazy. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering, this is our next character. This is number three. Ordering the jailer to keep them safe. And then watch this. I want to talk about this jailer for a minute. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so here's the picture. Remember I told you that Philippi is called the Little Rome, that Roman soldiers would come from war and they would come into the city of Philippi to, to live out the rest of their lives so they're veterans of war. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this jailer is a veteran of war, that he showed up and he's, He's putting them in prison. And what does the magistrate say? They say, hey, listen, keep them safe. So I want you to go in the mindset of this jailer for a minute. He's just gotten away from war. He's probably dealing with PTSD. He's angry. He's probably depressed. He's having nightmares. He's having all of this stuff happen in his life. And he doesn't know how to handle his emotions. He doesn't know how to handle what's going on in his life. And the magistrate say, hey, keep them safe. What does he do? It says that he takes Paul and Silas into the inner prison. That's the worst place that, Paul, that this jailer could put them. It's dark, it's secluded, it's the place of torture. And what does he do? He puts them in stocks. So think about it, from his mindset, he's thinking, I'm gonna show these guys that they will never ever disrespect our town again, these Jews. And so he puts them in stocks. Now, when you hear stocks, you may be thinking 17th century, you know, you're bent over, you got your head through wood stock and you got your hands through a stock and everybody's got tomatoes and they're throwing them at you and jeering and making jokes and shaming you. That's not the picture here. The picture is actually wooden stocks that are connected to your ankles and to your neck and to your arms and you're in in a contorted position seated. It's incredibly uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, the next text says that they're up at midnight. You know why? They're so uncomfortable they can't can't sleep. It's awful. They're in this awkward, painful position. This guy is taking out 
taking out his anger on them. That's the picture here. And then the, the text says this. Watch this. Man, Paul and Silas were studs. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me and I was unjustly accused, right, stripped, shamed, beaten, thrown into the inner prison when I didn't deserve it, and then put in a contorted position that's incredibly uncomfortable, I would not be praying and singing hymns to God. And so I just want to pause for a minute. And I want to put this in our context. Anyone else in here feel like this pandemic is a little torturous? Like it just came up out of nowhere and is stealing our lives away, right? I mean, do you all feel that? It's unpredictable. It's left us uncomfortable and unsure in the future of what's coming, how might God be calling us like Paul and Silas to worship our way through this pandemic? I mean, what is God saying to you to set aside our rights and our privileges to serve God, to serve others? Think about that. Paul, in this contorted position, singing praises and praying out loud to where everyone can hear. So I want to tell you the rest of the story. So all of a sudden, a great earthquake happens. All of the chains are loosened and all of the doors fling wide open. The jailer wakes up. And remember his framework, PTSD, he's just gotten away from war. He cannot handle high, high emotions and high stress. He looks up, sees all the doors open, and what does he do? He goes, that's it. He grabs a sword, and he's about to end his life. And Paul says, hey, hey, don't harm yourself. Stop. Don't, don't do it. Everybody's still here. Nobody's gone. I know the doors are open, but we're still here, man. There's still hope. And what does this guy do? He literally goes and falls on his knees before Paul and Silas because he knows they're spiritual. He knows that they have something that he doesn't. And he says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, what do I need to do to be right with this God that you believe in? Because this isn't working for me. And Paul leads this jailer to the Lord. And then it says after that, that he led his entire family to the Lord and they were baptized. It's incredible. It's this beautiful picture of God showing up and doing incredible things. You see, serving requires sacrifice. Serving requires sacrifice. If I was Paul, I would be thinking, I just got beat. You put me in this terrible position. I'm about to get justice. You go ahead and do what you're going to do. It's on you, bro, right? I mean, in, in our sinful nature, in our flesh, that's where we go. And Paul doesn't go there. He says, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about my intentions or whatever. No, no, no. I'm gonna love this guy. I'm gonna sacrifice everything that I'm feeling, maybe the frustration that I have about this whole situation, and I'm gonna save this man's life. And I'm gonna offer him Jesus, right? What sacrifices is God calling you to make for the sake of his gospel? Is he calling you to sacrifice your time, 
your finances. Maybe it's to sit down with your daughter or with your son. I don't know what it is in your situation, but it's something that's requiring energy or sacrifice for you. What's God calling you to do? And so as we close out today, I want to turn in a different direction. If you didn't notice, all three individuals are incredibly different. And you know what it says over and over, I feel like in this text, is that the gospel is for anyone and everyone that would come. Think about the differences. This is amazing. We've got this woman who is upright. She's conservative. She's spiritual. She's rich, right? She's got this incredible business. Everything is going well for her. And she, she's probably thinking in her mind, if I do enough good, then God will accept me. She's a God fear. And Paul comes and says, no, no, you're broken too. And guess what? My God sent his son to die for you. You can't do it in and of your own good works. No, no, no. He had to come and die in your place and he loves you. And then we've got this Greek slave girl who's incredibly broken. She's demon possessed. She's enslaved to sin. I mean, think of the person, if you're out there, who's addicted, whose life is a wreck and a mess. And Paul comes in and says, hey, listen, I know you're poor. I know you're broken. I know nothing's going well in your life. I know you're a hot mess, but Jesus died for you. He loves you. And then that third one, this guy who's incredibly angry, who's had everything in his life blow up, and he feels like he's angry at God, he's angry at his family, he's angry at everyone. And he's taking it out on everyone. I mean, hurting people hurt people. And Paul shows up and says, hey man, God loves you too. Jesus died for you too. And so that's our message today. That you would serve strategically, that you would serve spiritually, and that you would serve sacrificially. And that if you are here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, that you would turn to him. Amen? Amen.